0: Hello and welcome to this week's instalment of Nucleus Investment Insights. And today's uh, presentation is entitled, Is Australia's Housing Rebound a Bull Trap? I won't go into it any further because we're going to be spending the next uh, half hour, 40 minutes uh, coming covering off exactly that topic. But I am, as always, joined today by our wonderful team... Uh, of IT-savvy people. Uh, we've got our Chief Economist, Leith Van Onselen. G'day, Good
1: G'day, Tim. G'day, everyone.
0: We've got our Head of Investments, Damien Classen. G'day, Damien. Hi, Tim. And our Chief Strategist, David Llewellyn-Smith. Hello, David. Hi, Tim. Fantastic, let's jump into it. So the agenda today, so we're gonna be looking at, so beginning with uh, reasons for the strong bounce in uh, housing prices uh, in Australia, of course. Moving across to rising economic risks, both domestic and global. We'll then uh, face the question of the day in is this Australian housing uh, lift uh, actually a bull trap? We'll then cover off on three scenarios we expect uh, maybe in front of us in the short to medium term. And then of course round off as we always do on um, investment implications on how we run money every day here at Nucleus Wealth and the MB Fund. So with no further ado, I will hand over to Leith on the uh, on our first topic of the day, housing rebound uh, and the state of play. Leith, take it away.
1: Thanks, Tim. Look, first of all, I just want to say that this, this presentation is based on our uh, third quarter subscribers report. So if you want to get a more detailed uh, input about what we're talking about, um, and you're not already subscribed to MB, do so. You can read that report. Nice plug. Thank you, shameless plug. <laughs> um, look, you know, we. The CoreLogic results were just released last week and obviously we've got a very, very strong housing rebound going on here. Um, after after nearly two years of, of housing declines, over the last quarter, um, capital city house prices have risen by over 2%. And that's been driven by Sydney and Melbourne, as always, the, the bubble centres, uh, which, which have risen by about 3.5% over the September quarter alone. So that's a very strong rebound in price terms. Now, if you analyse that, you know it's over 12%. Mm. Um, now, you know, th- this has led to a lot of people—Chris uh, Joy, Louis Christopher, a whole bunch of other people—saying the boom is back, baby. The boom is back, and uh, and also uh, we've also got the obviously the treasurer Josh Josh Frydenberg, uh, Scott Morrison, all out there spooking the that rise in house prices, a ten percent rise in house prices leads to a half percent increase in GDP. This is great for the economy. This is what Australia needs to get back on track. This is what we need to you know for the for the economy to recover. Um, now, if you flick to the next slide, Tim, um, this housing rebound has been engineered by policymakers and the government. There's no doubt about that. Uh, in the week before the federal election, um, when the coalition obviously had their very surprise uh, election victory, uh, Scott Morrison signaled in no uncertain terms. He he uh, he came out and said explicitly that he does not want house prices to fall, and we want house prices to go up. And he announced a first home buyer. Deposit subsidy scheme, which effectively will allow first home buyers from first um, of January next year to uh, buy buy homes with a five percent deposit. Um, on top of that, the, 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 uh, they, obviously the election happened. The coalition got their surprise result. Labor's negative gearing and capital gains tax reforms were scrapped, which were expected to knock house prices down by potentially another 10 percent. Uh, um, and uh, only two days after the federal election was held, APRA came out and got rid of its interest rate floor. So. Previously, APRA required that, um, that lenders, uh, ADIs, uh, that, that it regulates, had, um, had to assume that borrowers could repay loans um, at a 7% interest rate, but it was really 725 because it mm. was a buffer above that. Um, it got rid of that, um, that mortgage buffer and effectively said that lenders only have to pay uh, 2.5% above their prevailing mortgage rates. So what this meant was that as the RBA has cut rates, has cut rates three times since then, um, the serviceability floor just keeps falling. And it's uh, you know it keeps falling, and, and, and what that means is that, uh, that the lenders are now able to um, to extend larger mortgages to more people, therefore you know um, higher house prices. Um, we've we've also, as I just mentioned, the RBA's cut rates three times. We expect more more of that to happen. Um, the Australian Securities Investments Commission, who was taking Westpac to court for breaching responsible uh, lending rules, um, using the effectively. Westpac and all the other major banks have been using this, um, this relative poverty measure called the household expenditure measure to, uh, to estimate, um, borrowers' expenses. And this was set at a really low level. So what it meant was, you know, by using this default poverty measure, they could lend more. ASIC was challenging that in court. The, the Banking Royal Commission said that that was inappropriate and that needs to be scrapped. Um, but ASIC actually lost that case in court. Um, so that's another red rag to a bull for the lenders that, you know, potentially it's back to the races. And just last week, again, we got Frydenberg and uh, Scott Morrison come out and uh, basically say that we do not want excessive regulation to crimp lending and that we need to lend more. So we've got this, effectively got this entire, um, you know, Politico housing complex, or as uh, Dave, wants to, Dave likes to describe it, the uh, Fasco housing complex now. Fasco, yeah. Fasco, sorry. Uh, yeah, yeah. Fasco housing complex has basically been uh, dictated from the top that house prices must rise. We must lend more, uh, driving this rebound. Um, but this rebound, you know, so obviously in the short term it's very bullish, but we see um, much, you know, bigger risks um, over the, you know, over the medium term, uh, which I guess we'll get into now.
0: Okay, sure. Just before we do, um, and just as a a shout out to anybody who is uh, watching in live, that of course make use of the question uh, box at the bottom of our live presentation. And for those that are listening on the podcast later, the uh, slides, of course, as always are available and a link in the show notes. Um, I've got a quick question around um, some suburbs in the Central Coast, but perhaps we might hold that over until we've covered off on the the overview, so um, just bear with us, Val, from, uh, from the Central Coast. Domestic risks rising.
1: Yeah, so it's um, so, so got this situation where effectively the coalition wants to try the old Howard government trick, um, whereby it um, it tries to run budget surpluses, etc. Like you know, uh, it effectively orders or forces the RBA to cut rates, and then cut interest rates, and then that encourages households to to leverage up, um, bid house prices up, and then that gets consumption, spending, dwelling investment, etc. Um, you know, rising, but there's a lot of actual, there's actually a lot of barriers to stopping that happening or successfully this time around. Um, so what we've got here, we, we've put up a, um, a chart, which sort of like is the overview of what drives Australia's economic growth uh, in terms of final demand. So we've excluded net exports here because that's not the domestic economy. Mm. And there are effectively four growth drivers. So you've got consumer household consumption, which is over half. That's about 55%. You've got government investment, it's about a quarter. Uh, business investments about I think twelve percent, and the rest is dwelling construction. Now, final demand's been falling quite sharply over uh, several quarters. It's actually running; run, it was running at one point seven percent in the uh, in, in the last financial year, which is you know basically population growth. So it's almost going nowhere, and it's got a very nasty trend. Um, and we see it actually getting a lot worse, and and probably heading towards one percent, which is sort of the lows of the 2013-2014 period. And and that's based on basically these four growth drivers spluttering. Um, we thought we'd just give a quick overview of, uh, of of each of these and 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 basically what what is happening to the, uh, the the Australian economy when you break up these four components.
0: Okay, sure. Yeah, let's jump into them. So we've got uh, dwelling investments first.
1: Yeah. Now dwelling investments is not the biggest driver, but it's also very, but it is very volatile. So it does affect growth uh, incrementally uh, as it goes up and down. Um, now you know, we, there's there's no surprise that um, that the the dwelling dwelling investments start to fall, uh, given we have this massive run up with apartment building and all the faults and everything that's happened. Um, but dwelling approvals, so so dwelling construction is already down about ten percent. If you use uh, it's not shown in this chart, but it's already down about ten percent if you use the uh, the quarterly construction data. Um, but the bigger problem is that uh, dwelling approvals dwelling approvals have already fallen thirty percent mm. from their peak. And anyone who's watching this live can see that's a very nasty, um, it's a a nasty slope there and obviously completions and uh, commencements follow approvals with a long lag usually because it takes about two years to build an apartment. Um, And the reason why this matters is we've got 1.2 million Australians who are employed in construction and that's about 9% of the Australian workforce, so... It's pointing to some, you know, probably two years of um, pretty sharp dwelling construction falls. So we're expecting that to obviously subtract from jobs and growth, and we're talking maybe, uh, you know, 100,000 to 150,000 workers there.
2: Mm. Yeah. Now, I haven't seen, Leith, anything um, from the government supporting dwelling construction in particular.
1: No, in fact, it's, if anything, it's going to get worse because of the um, the high-rise con- construction concerns. So uh, anyone who's been paying attention to the news would have seen all this opal crisis, uh, mascot, etc., where basically a huge share of high-rise apartments that have been built in the last 10 years basically got structural faults and cracking or flammable cladding. So that's actually leading to, you know, buyers being very wary and there's court cases being played out, etc. And uh, we're actually expecting uh, developers to go, a lot of developers go bust. And if anything, this this uh, construction chart's going to get a lot, lot worse.
2: Mm. And so I think, and as far as I can tell, you know, while uh, so that's sort of flowing through into the lending as well. So so banks are going, yes, we want to lend as much as possible at the moment, but we'd prefer not high-rise, and that's where all the demand, that's where all the supply is coming on. And so you sort of got that, that mismatch about now you're chasing, you know, small houses in well, houses on small blocks of land are just being are the, are the real thing that's really being bid up.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and, and and more than that, established housing. So... Yeah. Yes. Um, so- Obviously, you know people want to shy away from this high-rise stuff, thrown by you know established housing or um, or potentially new low-density housing. Uh, but it's a nasty equation. Effectively, you mm-hmm. know, one point two million people, and, and it's not shown here, but we've got in the in the special report um, that uh, at the same time this is happening, the pipeline of infrastructure is actually starting to fall as well. So we're not expecting an offset from um, from from infrastructure either. Mm-hmm. So that's a bit of a concern.
2: Yeah, so in terms of getting a, a, an employment, I guess where's, where's the hope in the employment? And I guess I guess one hope would be that uh, house prices start rising and, and developers go, this is fantastic, I've got to go out and start developing as many uh, land, and, land and house packages as, as I can and convert that sort of 20 years' worth of um, – most of them have 20 years' worth of inventory sitting on their books. Um, so in theory, they could roll that out relatively quickly. Um, if the lending was there –
1: Yeah, On on development, but
2: I don't think it is at the moment.
1: They could on the low-rise stuff, but remember that this... The high-rise stuff takes ages. Yeah, the high-rise stuff. And the high-rise has actually been the marginal driver of the huge run-up in dwelling construction. So Mm. um, the detached house construction never actually rose that much uh, from its historical average. It was all in the... Well, primarily in the high-rise. So Mm. even in in theory, if the high-rise developers would come back out again, it's going to take two years to feed through because it's two two years leap, uh, you know... Lead time to really filter through to construction. So, I guess in the in, in the in the immediate term or the next you know eight two years really we're expecting pretty hard dwelling construction crash. And what happens after that, you know, who knows? But mm. um, that's that's something we'll probably be talking about in about a year's time.
0: Mm. Okay. Anything to add, Dave?
1: Uh, well, I guess the broader framework of that
3: is that, as Leif mentioned, um, the government's intent on replicating the Howard model for growth mm. uh, and uh what this is suggesting is that you know one of the key follow throughs you get from rising house prices is dwelling construction and that creates activity and jobs etc. Uh and this time around you're just not gonna get it. Mm. Uh, it's at least, you know, for the next as Lee says probably two years it'll actually fall. Uh and so that uh represents a very different formula to what you got under the Howard years and um, suggests that, uh, you know, the the entire enterprise is rather ill-conceived, mm, mm. <laughs> actually, but, but more practically speaking, um, just means that it, they will really struggle to get momentum.
2: Yeah. Yep. Just, and the other issue is obviously we had, whatever, 70-ish percent household debt to GDP, and now it's 110 or 115 or whatever, so we've gone from the back a long way you, know, is it, you can play you can play the trick of back gearing up um yeah but you, there's only so many times you can play it before you're like well everyone's geared yep.
1: mm-hmm. yeah yeah and, and just to draw on Dave's point quickly like the drawn analogy um it kind of parallels what's going on with in the commodity market so obviously we had the massive mining investment uh, mining boom but that was a um the, the one that went ran up to 2012 was basically a commodity price boom but also led to a mining investment boom that's what filtered through to the workers and gave us employment and income growth yep. currently we've got commodity price boom without the construction boom to go with it so it's sort of like a it's an empty boom if you're an australian worker and that's kind of what exactly the same, right. same yeah. kind of situation we've got with the housing market yeah. yeah
0: is there a place for this infrastructure spend do you Ab- think?
1: absolutely there is but
3: yeah. there, there's none coming yeah right it's i mean falling. That, it's falling um, like there's a big pipeline it's just that the, the nature of um uh, public investment well actually investment in general is that is the rate of change that matters it's not the, the quantum mm. or not the total uh, and so because it's run up very strongly for the last two or three years Uh, if you just take your foot off the pedal a little, it just stalls out. And it may stay at a high level, but it doesn't add to growth. Hmm. Uh, And so it adds no jobs. And as it happens, because the pipeline's a bit lumpy, it looks like it's actually going to taper off for the next couple of years before it picks up again Hmm. and holds on to this kind of high plateau. Probably because of the NBN, really, isn't it? Uh, it Yes, the the big one is Hmm. the NBN rolling off. And so it means a lot of these new um, transport projects that are being run by the states are simply being offset by... The MBN rolling off. Rolling off. Yeah. yeah. And okay. the MBN was an extremely labour intensive business, mm. more so than transport. And so it doesn't give you a big jobs pump at yeah. all. And it was yeah. a national
2: as well, yeah. I
0: guess.
3: That's it? right. Yeah. yeah. Localised.
2: Especially um, tunnelling. T- tunnelling yeah. is very capital intensive and not very labour intensive. Mm-hmm. Whereas digging, digging ditches to stick telephone lines in, yeah, or even, even doing yeah. normal roads and roundabouts and all that type of stuff is, is relatively intensive. Yeah. On
3: well, anyone who put him the NB on, NBN on knows that they've been visited by
1: about six or eight different people. Yeah, <laughs> mate, there's always guys <laughs> in orange vests out the front of my house <laughs> yes, right. trying to fix up their mistakes. The, yeah. the process just folded on itself like yeah.
3: about very, a million times. Very well serviced. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, and yes, as Damo says, you know, a big fat tunnel just doesn't do that. Hmm, fair enough. Uh, we'll roll across to the
0: Australian consumer, uh, and it's on life support at the moment.
1: Yeah. So now th- th- this is the this is, I guess, the big one in a lot of respects, um, because as I said before, household consumption drives about fifty five percent of um, of the, the economic growth uh, historically, and uh, and it's actually running well below. Historical averages and it's actually household consumption growth has been falling. So it's um, and, and this isn't per capita, is it? No, no, no. The, the, this is just mm. the annual growth rate. Mm. So, uh, you, so
2: you're negative on a oh, sorry, to no, no, zero. That's the a, average, a, I think. Yeah, yeah. So cross so the
1: so, so the red line the average, which which isn't zero, but that that's that's no 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 historical average. The,
2: the blue line take out what one and a half two percent.
1: Yeah, it's Population very weak.
2: Growth is is roughly about just above zero
1: yeah that's right so yeah. so it's very weak and it's actually falling and and the big hope mm. and and this is the uh, i guess the big hope and this is what josh freidenberg was referring to when he says you know 10 percent house price rise pumps gdp by half a percent mm. is that you get this wealth effect so generally historically when house prices have risen um you know people feel wealthier they go out and spend they mm. equity and, mate yeah that's right equity mate and they go and spend more and then you get more household consumption the problem is, though, there's a lot of reason to believe that this isn't going to happen to anywhere near the same extent this time around. And Phil Lowe's made, the RBA governor's made this point uh, last week or couple last couple of weeks. Um, and that's because, as Damien mentioned before, household debt is already at very high levels. So so we've just hit the highest record on level, 190% of disposable income, uh, second highest in the world. And uh, there isn't actually that much scope to keep leveraging up, especially when we've, got, we've had seven years of... Household disposable income per capita basically flatlining. In fact, it's slightly lower today than it was seven years ago. So, we've had no income growth. Uh, households have been borrowing anyway. They're already leveraged the eyeballs. The household savings rate um, has already fallen to the lowest level since 2007. Mm-hmm. So, it's been falling. And that's obviously unsustainable. They can't keep borrowing forever when you've got no income growth to then boost consumption. Yep. So it's already sort of hitting its limits. Yep. And what this means is that there isn't actually a lot of upside to, to juice consumption from here. Mm. And if anything, like yeah, they might be able to engineer a little bit of a turnaround, but it's not going to be enough to, to juice well, the economy much.
2: And you can see on that chart, you know, the 2012 to 2000, and, uh, when, when that finished, 2012 to 2017, that sort of house price boom didn't yeah. really show up on on, this, on the consumption side this time around.
1: No, yeah. that's C- right. Certainly
2: did the prior times, but it uh,
1: and, 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 a, and even a, weaker this time. And, and there's another indicator too. I mean, the um, anybody who follows this sort of data probably knows that mortgage credit has uh, fallen, the the stock of mortgage credit debt outstanding has actually fallen to the lowest level on record in both quarterly and annual terms. And what that tells you is that, um, is that households are actually taking their tax cuts, taking their interest rate, uh, reductions, whatever, and they're using it to pay down debt. I was just going to say, yeah. More than taking out new debt. Yeah. So they're, they're or disleveraging, disleveraging. Yeah. Yeah, yep. yeah. Or I guess, yeah, deleveraging if you want to uh, in a certain way. Um, so that that's just another sign that they're not going out and spending, you know, mm. not buying their TVs, cars, whatever. They're yep. actually um, they're actually paying down debt.
3: Okay. There's sure. another component to this as well where, uh, in reference to the previous chart with the dwelling construction crash. the um, A lot of the uh, consumption that comes out of. Uh, a housing boom typically you get the dwelling construction that follows on and then there's a whole lot of household goods that people have to buy for these new homes yeah absolutely and you're not going to have that this time in fact it's going to be falling <laughs> as well so that that also retards um any kind of flow through you know into consumption or a yep. consumption mm. lift mm. Um, so we're expecting a pretty muted rebound despite uh despite their best efforts to juice prices.
0: Yep, sure. Okay, good point. Uh, we'll roll across to the uh, business, business investment.
1: Yeah, so, so business investment basically isn't doing much. Uh, it's just running around average levels. Um, but the, both the NAB business survey, the ABS-CAPEX survey, shows that it's going to grow slowly, um, you know, 1% or so uh, per annum, which is not, it's not it's really just treading water. So it'll add a tiny bit to growth going forward, but not much. Um
2: I think I think the big point with this is for anyone who's not just listening in and can't see the chart you know that we've come through this period where there was a huge spike in in uh business investment in uh 2012ish uh between then and 2017 fell quite sharply and that's that's all the mining boom and we've sort of just made it back now to sort of more normal levels and so yeah, yeah. it's it's not a the, the mining side has, has um has stopped detracting or or you know i guess there's still a few more to, to roll off but but most of that detraction sort of has has fallen away and so now you're going to say okay now the rest of the economy is what needs to do it but you've got the construction falling away at the same time and mm. then consumption and and uncertainty <laughs> Flatline, and so yeah. the question is what's what's going to get people out there to say you know we need to get out there and, and really reinvest in, in in projects and obviously china keeps throwing more and more investment at its side to to create um uh lots of supply and and yeah, so it's sort of a it's a tough tough to see what's actually going to turn the business investment around at this point.
3: Mm. Yeah, uh, My, mining is adding now rather than subtracting, um, based on the price boom that we've had in the last couple of years. But most okay. of that is. Uh, is really just a mine substitution, so it, it's not and, and plant and equipment as well. Yeah, like there's a and, lot more yes. in the plant
2: and equipment side than what there is in the new yes. mines, yeah, that's which is important. So just, just imports yeah. anyway. <laughs>
3: so. Yeah, so yeah.
2: but it's also the part about if I'm yeah if I'm building if I buy a new tractor because I buy a new uh, truck or something to because I've got a lot of cash at the moment that obviously doesn't flow through to you know the difference between that and starting a new mine and then going okay, I've got to yeah. spend for the next three years mm. and going, no, I've yeah. bought a new truck that's it.
3: Look, there is some. But it's, it's modest and it's about to run into some pretty serious global headwinds anyway. Which we'll get onto very
1: shortly. Yeah,
0: Just a quick one on that as well, while we're on the business topic. Um, I was reading something the other day, uh, talking and going back to credit again, but you know, typical small and medium enterprises use their own house as collateral to to... To borrow and spend to, to build their businesses and there's apparently some friction now where banks are going well uh, I know you're borrowing against a, a real asset but you're borrowing for a business purpose um, and so it's sort of falling foul of the regulations between you know of, of, of you know predatory lending essentially where they're sort of saying okay well you're borrowing but you're not exactly earning is it if you guys have you come across any of that
1: um, no nah, but but what I will say is it's very hard to get a business loan if you don't Secure it with a house, yeah, <laughs> or something like, yeah. For, for small, businesses. small yeah, businesses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we, we, uh, we experienced that a couple of years ago. <laughs> yeah, it's a joke. But yep.
2: the um, but yeah, I think that I think
1: I mean, I mean my,
3: our experience basically is if you don't have a property, forget it. Yeah, like they're not interested in your no. P and L or your balance sheet. Yeah, <laughs> they're no. only no. interested in, in your property, your personal, personal. property, <laughs> like nothing to do with the business whatsoever. No, yeah, yeah.
2: and and, then, that, and that's that's largely, I think there's there's arguments that you know a lot of the Australian banking has, has lost that. They've lost that ability of, of how to service small customers because small businesses because they basically do have got just said, lazy. Yeah, they've just said much easier if you've just got a house, great, bang, I'll collateral. take collateral. Yep. Take collateral on that and, and off you go. And the model works. Um yep. the the other question sort of raising from some of these Royal Commission one was about was about the raw uh know your client rules and whether that's actually expanded to um to cause issues for, for some businesses as well. And and there are indications that that certainly in the first instance that um that because uh, banks didn't know their client well enough. They actually needed to go out and do more work on on the businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, the question is now whether um, with... The Treasurer and, and Prime Minister exhorting banks to get out and lend and lend and lend, um, whether they then start to roll back and go, well, maybe we don't need to know a client that well. Maybe yeah, right. Not, as long as nobody's going to jail, yep. you know, let's let's shove as much debt.
0: Mm. And that, could that be an answer that could be done through a regulatory way then, where a certain percentage of a bank's loan book needs to be in a certain, yeah. you know, sector? I, I, I no, no.
1: Saying, that, there was that, something
0: that. in Germany where it's like that as well, where they quarantine off banks that can only service yeah, certain I, parts. Yeah, unfortunately
1: the, the global bank capital rules the Basel uh, two, two capital rules. Basel well, three soon. Three. Yep. Uh, they they um they prioritise housing lending over business lending. So basically, if you're if you're lending to a business, you get charged one hundred percent risk rate. So mm. uh, you you have to hold eight percent capital. Yep. But if it's a house, it's you know point two five. Oh, uh, sorry, two percent. Yeah, like, right. It's yep. the standard so. Um, so those, those global capital rules actually encourage housing lending, no business lending. Mm, okay,
0: yeah, interesting. All right, very good. Uh, we'll roll across to the saving grace, the public teat.
1: Yes. Now, now th- th- this is the the public sector is usually twenty uh, something percent of the the. Um, I think it's about a quarter of um, of, uh, of, of of Australian growth, yep. uh, typically historically, um, but in the last financial year, uh, so. The 2018-19 financial year it actually counted for 62 percent of Australia's growth. So effectively, Australia's economy has been on public sector life support. Was it? Um, it was 100 percent of labour market growth. That's right. right. <laughs> yes. 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 So 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 it's even more when it comes to employment, it? and yeah. um, it's very simple reason. They've been uh, obviously building the NBN, NDIS has had a massive rollout, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, etc. Cetera, et cetera. Um, but those two things are both ending. Um, the rollouts ending. Now, it doesn't mean that there's going to be no more spending on it. It just means, that, as Dave said earlier, if you don't spend more this year than you did last year, you don't get growth. Yeah. Um, so effectively, it's, it's running way above average levels. It's run up heaps, and it's sort of hitting a turning point now. Uh, so we can't expect as much um, spending from government going forward to keep driving growth. Mm-hmm. On top of that, which Dave will get onto in a second, um, the... Commodity prices and the terms of trade are starting to turn too, and what that means is that the um, the we're basically heading into a budget deficit again, and um, that'll smash national income, etc., and make it harder for governments to keep spending to support the economy. But mm. so it's so, also got a, quite a bit of. Cons- public consumption
3: austerity at the state level. Yeah, that's right. After the housing bust. And the stamp and duty cuts. Stamp duty cuts. And um, even though there's a price rebound, the volumes are still really low. And so there's not going to be a huge rebound in stamp duty anytime soon. Uh, and so although the states are, are sort of uh, recycling assets as quickly as they can, building things and selling them off, um, there is austerity on the other side. Uh, of of um, their consumption contribution to growth. So mm. it's also going to be more difficult um, at
1: that level. So basically mm. the upshot is so you've got these four drivers, you've got dwelling investments falling, and that's going to sub, uh, subtract from growth. Yep. Um, business investments going to add a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, consumer. Yeah, the consumer is going to keep adding to growth, it always does, but it's going to be less. Mm-hmm. And the public demand is going to add to growth, but it's going to be a lot less as well. So this is why we sort of think that it's probably... Final demand is going to, growth is going to fall to about 1%, which is kind of where it hit in the, I think, 2013 14 troughs. So basically negative in per capita terms and just a grind, a slow grind for the economy, which means rising unemployment. Um, and, you know, this, this sort of, I guess, a glass ceiling on the housing rebound mm. uh, on the domestic economy side um, after this pent up demand and uh, this little mini bounce happens uh, has, has flown through. But I guess we'll pass off to the global risks to Dave. Certainly. Okay, so external risks. We've got three?
3: Yeah. Uh, yes, we do. Um, external risks. Um, well, so so the, the, many more than that, but three big ones. we want to talk about today. The three big ones, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, US-China trade war, which I'm sure uh, everybody's familiar with. Um, uh, this is a structural change. There's some prospect of a cyclical um, improvement with a deal. Um, very big meeting coming up in a week or so in in the u.s um where why are you coming over from china um but it's very much a structural change even if there's a short-term deal done it'll largely be pr we think and and so you'll see this friction in the uh, u.s trying to try trying to trade settings more, more or less permanently um but obviously also a very high risk of it getting worse mm. even this week we saw trump um mulling um you know, kind of new capital restrictions on how US businesses can invest in China and how Chinese can access US capital. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so there's obviously very key uh, risks in terms of that getting worse. Um, And that bears upon Australia in any number of different ways, but probably the key one is China slows as global supply chains de-risk and pull out of China and look more to Southeast Asia. Uh, or Mexico, etc., into areas where they don't have to deal with these political risks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, that, you know, has a flow-on effect, obviously, into b- commodity prices. Um, now, the second risk we've got there is the Hong Kong insurrection, which at the moment is looking quite nasty mm. um, with, uh, you know, the um, 70-year birthday celebrations for, for the uh, People's Republic and the honkies taking the opportunity to... to uh, uh, rain on that parade. Mm. Uh, you know, we've had a, a student shot. Uh, first, first, you know, time of sort of live ammunition casualty has happened, and more protests on the back of that. Uh, it's also sort of seemingly inexorably making its way into the trade friction with the U.S. Trump has avoided that, but the U.S. Congress hasn't, mm. and has started to actually seize the mantle from the president on. Um, you know, how the trade war is negotiated in a context of Hong Kong uh, freedoms. Uh, and so that's, you know, not a, not, a, not a pretty picture. The implications for that in terms of the trade war, of course, is that if, if the CCP is forced to stomp on Hong Kong, uh, at this point it still looks like, you know, it's a slow bleed until they lose their temper, mm. um, then this, this de-risking of supply chains will just turn nuclear. Um, i think for for an entire generation business uh, foreign direct investment into china will just stall mm. and in, in fact reverse yep. a, a lot uh, and
2: that that's if they if they crack down if they crack yeah. down yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and so and, and we're already we already have this view that uh because of the trade frictions and the whole rise of uh, sort of guess bringing to the forefront of the, about the amount of cheating china's been doing and the amount of spying and and taking of people's data that um, we've already got the view that we're already in a structural move away from China, sort of 10, 20-year move where, where companies will move their supply chains out of China. Mm-hmm. I think there was a survey out that was probably a little bit selective, but sort of had something like 80-something percent of companies that are, that are in China are looking to move their supply chains uh, yep. away from China over the next year. Sounds smart. Um, and so and it's not, it's not going to happen turn overnight, but it's just this gradual slow bleed already, mm. and I guess um, – what David's well, saying is, if if you get a crackdown as well, then it's sort of you know lights out. Now they, that that yeah. whole process accelerates. Yeah, yep. it's yep. lights out.
3: I mean, uh, something like eighty percent of people invest into China, base themselves in Hong Kong, of mm-hmm. uh, multinationals, right? So I mean, if they crack down on that, the whole thing, the whole model will just fall apart. Yep. Um, uh, so that uh, that's global recession. I think uh, as a certainty, mm. um, if they're forced to crack down on Hong Kong, and I, I still don't see an easy way out of it. Um, so those two two risks kind of come together in, a, in, a, in an alarming way. And then, you know, around the other side of the world, we have Brexit, of course, where uh, Bojo is doing his best to, uh, to exit the European Union. Uh, and I couldn't, couldn't spent well i could spend the next four hours talking about british politics but i'm not going to because because <laughs> it's uh, it's an absolute mess but it still looks like a hard brexit is a distinct possibility uh, uh even if they have to go to an election first uh then uh you know polling is still very much in favor of tory slash brexit parties mm, okay uh, so you know that's you know, uh, we've already basically from the first two risks, we've had already had a flow onto Europe in, because Europe's a very um, externally driven um, economy. economy yep. So it's as its exports are falling, have fallen on the trade war and frictions. Yes. Uh, Germany has stalled out, and Europe's already kind of close to recession. And then if it's hit by a hard Brexit, then I think we can guarantee most of Europe will go into recession. And so again, you get just get these. This is. Even without a Hong Kong blow up, you've got a circumstance of a death of a thousand cuts mm. in, in the external environment. And for Australia, that obviously may, means less demand for commodities. Uh, and so we see next year, uh, and this has already started happening, the key commodities, are iron ore and coal, um, and LNG, actually, um, all of them getting thumped. So, I mean, coke and coal's already down 40%, iron ore is down well probably 30 but has another 30 to go mm-hmm. i think coking coal keep falling thermal coal's down the same uh, and is also still falling uh, and the you know these these the falls so far have really just been kind of resolutions just the the leading edge of weakening demand but most of it's been the resolutions of supply side shocks mm-hmm. um, for especially iron ore and coking coal uh, and so if demand really does take a hit then there's a lot of lot more downside in commodity prices uh, and so on this ter- terms of trade chart we've got up here, I would say big downside, um, not to the depths of 2015 at this stage, but significant and material. Uh, and so we've, you know, having been through this several times over the last few years, we know precisely what will transpire as a result. National income will get smashed. Budget revenue will dry up. uh and, you know, the surplus will turn to deficit. We obviously have this very uh, deficit hawkish government uh, who are going to face uh, quite a, a difficult political circumstance in mm-hmm. having to reverse out of their, you know, their very strong surplus rhetoric. Uh, and they're clearly they've waited too long already. And as this develops, it's very likely they'll still wait too long. And when they do go, they're likely to go with tax cuts that will only... Enhanced deleveraging, they won't spend, Uh, and so you know again you've got quite a nasty kind of uh, growth headwind for Australia in that mining investment. The little pulse we've got now would dry up, and all that uh, in terms of you know the housing rebound and what we were talking about with the consumer, um, it's it's all extremely negative for wages growth. Mm. Um, You will see more unemployment, and wages growth will just simply fall away again back to you know the lows that we've seen, if not lower, Um, despite or in because of population growth as well. Yep. Uh, And so, uh, you know, as Leith um, eloquently put it, you know, the glass ceiling that sits on the housing rebound um, thickens up and maybe gets opaque and maybe turns into bricks, (laughs) right? And, you you know, you bounce off it. Um, Yeah, so uh, I guess that's probably the point at which we could switch to our three scenarios.
0: Let's do that. Yes, three potential Um, scenarios.
3: uh, So... So, yeah, uh, I mean, we, we put this down as 50% probability of um, of that base case being, you know, some kind of moderate deterioration in the global economy leading to this, this um, ceiling past which house prices can't really go. Um, we call it, you know, a 10% bounce before that kind of you know, rolls out. Mm. Um, that we're talking about Sydney, Melbourne here. Most of the other cities haven't haven't moved that much. Yep. Um, <clears throat> and at that point, you know, it's up for grabs. You know, how bad those various things get, and you get into risk cases. But the base case is, with that plateau in place, it's difficult to see much more upside for house prices. And so, you might actually start to see real price falls again. Mm. Not nominal. Not like the correction we've seen, but more into a kind of grind lower over the long term where you've just got no income in the economy. Um, and that, that just could go on and on and on because what we haven't talked today, all we've really talked today about is cyclical stuff. What we also think is that China isn't very near, close to or nearing, um, you know, the structural shift in its development model um, to slower growth. Yep. Um, where,
2: Certainly, much slower capex.
3: Yeah, much slower capex more, and more services growth. And so, you know, then if you get into this circumstance where you're you're just constrained income in the economy starts to cap asset prices, that that just rolls on more or less indefinitely. Um, if China slows in that nature, commodity prices just grind lower and lower, and and the terms of trade actually revert to mean they fall below 2015, uh, and you really are into. Uh, you know, a very long, very difficult um, kind of another lost decade for the economy and households and asset prices. And you you have to, if it takes, uh, you know, if it takes uh, a long period, then it's manageable, but, you know, it's just not going to get returns on things like housing assets. Um, so that's your base case. I mean, that's, it doesn't sound a lot of fun, I know. Uh, then you've got your two risk cases, bearish 25 and, and bullish 25, um, bearish obviously things go wrong in hong kong or something else happens global recession etc um, australians gets a spike in unemployment and you know suddenly you're most of the eastern coast cities are facing the same scenarios perth they simply haven't escaped the negative equ- equity trap of the recent correction um, before they've taken another shock and uh, so prices roll over and just continue to fall mm-hmm. and then we've kind of canvassed the bullish upside case which is uh, you know the world manage- world managers just stumble through. There's some sort of you know PR trade deal, the kick at the can for the stock market, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And then you've got this defect crisis that's narrowing the options for home buyers. They're forced into and you know a, a a narrower gully of of going for existing dwellings. You've got the full faith and credit of Scott Morrison forcing everybody to take on credit. Um, you still got out of control immigration, and you know that that launches another sort of mad bidding war in the housing market. Um, but even that one, you know, what happens when it gets to previous peaks? What what did Sydney fall? No, uh, fifteen. Fifteen. So you'd have to get like what eighteen percent? Yeah, to get back to, to get back to the peaks. Peak. Yeah. You know, if you let's say you did that in two years. Um, you know, APRA, Then what? Uh, then <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, APRA is going to have to do something. The debt metrics will be off the chart. Um, well, even, interest, it,
1: interest rates will be lowest they can ever
3: get. Uh, they won't be any. It can't go lower. There'll be quantitative easing. Um, and yet the prudential regulator will have to tighten. And mm. it's just, you know, it's a, it's a formula that just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Especially,
1: yeah, it doesn't make sense with the fundamentals the economy's got. No, definitely not. Um, so. and
2: I guess you won. You won more bull case under that, though, is that Australian government debt is quite low, and so yep, um, yep. and we obviously have a, a government that seems hell bent on rising house prices at whatever cost, and so we bought them in the election, didn't it? Yeah, um. but so they, God knows what they could dream up in terms of yep. how do how do we transfer more money from from. Government debt into uh, into Australian houses. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So
1: uh, that's more uh, more than fair point. I guess mm-hmm. we'll uh, we'll revisit the next report or the next one after that, and <laughs> <laughs> every quarter for the next couple of years. Yeah. All
0: right. Very good. Um, and I'll just uh, I'll drop in the uh, the question now from. Uh, Val from CC, I only assumes the Central Coast. Hi, um, hi. Th- all, do you think there is um, a risk of a bull trap in some of the good suburbs of the Central Coast? And I guess this is loosely to any of the you know secondary cities outside of the the primary ones. Uh, so Central Coast being eighty to ninety kilometres north of Sydney, uh, I'm looking to buy my first home, and I notice there hasn't been an increase in prices yet in the in the central coast um but i guess you would probably yeah, at least say geelong would probably sit in that in that boat as well though That'd yeah
1: well worried. i mean I, I i don't know that much about those markets but um i guess logically you'd expect them to follow sydney so with a lag yep. um so because because you get the get obviously the flight out of sydney towards affordability and lifestyle change etc and it'd yep. be the same with geelong with melbourne i guess yep the um ripple so, effect yeah that's right ripple effect. so obviously sydney's house prices have gone up three and a half percent last quarter they're starting to, it's uh, starting to take off, so you'd expect it to filter across to I don't know, Gosford or whatever it is. Um, I'm assuming that's where around about that era. Yep. Yeah. Um, you know, um, with, with with some kind of lag. Um, but again, given that it's going to hit this ceiling, mm. at some point, well then it'll hit the ceiling of the yep of, of, the, of the coast as well, um, just with a lag as well. I'm assuming. I'd just add one point, particularly for those satellite sort of
3: cities and towns uh i have I had a bit of a set to with apra over the last few months because their investor mortgage data went all strange it did it suddenly added on these huge quantities and um, the reason why was there was this um, categorization change on investor lending for people who had second holiday houses ah. and they were being uh Um, characterized as owner-occupier, and APRA insisted that they were shifted to investment. Right. Uh, And the implications of this, and uh, I don't know how this will shake out, um, but they have done it, and it's in the data, um, is that the banks will have to hold more capital for these investment loans than Mm -hmm. they had previously, Mm -hmm. for owner-occupiers, and they'll be charging higher interest rates for them as a result, uh, and so that may weigh on prices, in those satellite cities and towns. Um, Not so much the cities, perhaps, but I'm thinking of the Central Coast specifically because there is a lot of holiday business from Sydney in the Central Coast in particular, not so much Geelong. Yeah, sure. In Melbourne's case, but... Um, maybe the other way down towards the peninsula. Yep. Um, but in the case of Central Coast, that may be a factor. It's just something to watch if you're looking at the Central Coast to see how that shakes out because mm. the banks have pushed back against it now and said, well, we'll be hiking rates if you do this. Yep. Uh, and, you know, APRA has you know, plenty of form of then kind of folding. Capitulation. <laughs> 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 under pressure. Um, but, you know, so far that's actually what is happening. So they'd have to change direction okay. for it not to happen. Mm,
0: Okay, good. Yeah, great point there. Fantastic. And I hope that answered your question, Val. Um, So we'll jump across now into our final slide, the uh, impact of today's themes on uh, investments as we run them in the portfolios at Nucleus Wealth. Who'd like to uh, take off on uh, what's currently happening and how we're employing what we've spoken about today in the portfolios?
2: Uh, Yep. So look, I I think, I mean, we've Feel as if I'm, I'm repeating myself as, as we as we have in several times this one, but uh, you know, ten year bond rates have sort of fallen to to below one percent. So uh, we were pretty keen on on using bonds as a as a bit of a hedge on on uh, some of these negative outcomes. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, the yields have come down so far that we've gone from being very overweight to, to, to just very moderately overweight, and, and we're not sort of looking to add to that. Yep. at this point. So, um, so we've been sort of cashing up and, and looking for opportunities. So, markets have been falling over the last couple of days. Um, we've got our target list of stocks and, and higher quality things that we want to target as, as markets, as stock markets tend to fall. Yep. Uh, but we're not sort of deploying that cash yet, and we're holding some of that cash in US dollars with a view that um, yeah, you know, the Aussie dollar would be be weak, which is which has been a positive it's for us case. as well. Yeah, certainly. Um, so, so what we're trying to do is really just be um, be mindful of. How do you get protection at this point and then um you know finding that list of stocks and, and looking for, for for various areas that we think will benefit so there's a few um as examples you know uh last month we were picking up a few companies that we we feel uh are in sort of machine automation um and would be will, will actually benefit as as uh companies move out of this move their supply chain out of the um out of china and into uh into say the U.S. or or whatever, where they'll actually need a lot more automation. Yep. Okay. Thanks, Darren. <laughs> Shooting
0: off. No worries. Um, okay. No worries. Well, thanks very much. All right. Well, thanks. Uh, thanks, guys, for a, another terrific uh, run through, and we're looking forward to uh, next quarter's uh, update and, and and finding out uh, how much of this is rung true. So. Very good. Okay, so uh, moving on to what's coming up next week. So we've got uh, Leith coming in again uh, for the quarterly employment data. So Leith, uh, do you think we should all be running off and getting our brewster licences?
1: <laughs> yeah, so so the ABS releases uh, quarterly employment data every uh, well, every quarter. Every quarter. Surprise, surprise. Uh, anyway, that that, um, that that breaks down the uh, employment uh, numbers by, um, by, by uh, industry level. So we're going to look into that and see... Where the jobs growth is and where it's likely to go from here. Yeah. Okay, and,
2: and and it might not sound as exciting as Leith's. We probably could pick. I think we'll come up with a better headline before before next week. But I guess the key part of this is that we really feel as if the construction part, with with the big decrease in approvals, mm. is where um most of this case is resting. Yep. If if it's a moderate falls in construction employment, um, then you end up with what we're looking at there. If they start getting out of control, then uh, doesn't matter if house prices are starting to, to jump. Um, if you get some big falls in, in some, some really significant falls in those uh, construction numbers that start flowing through the rest of the economy, then you start ending up in these uh, these bear cases. So that's that's the key thing we're looking at is is the actual uh, yeah. Two, two key things. One is the supply of credit, but the second part is this the um, is, is employment side, and so that's what we're going to have a bit of a focus on next week.
0: Fantastic. Really looking forward to that. So that Same Bat Time, Same Bat Channel, Thursday, the 10th of October, uh, and head over to our Nucleus Wealth live uh, seminar webinar page to check that one out and, of course, comment live on the quarterly employment data or also stand by perhaps for a slightly uh, sexier title for next week's podcast as well. So <laughs> we'll look forward to bringing that to you then. Cheers. Well, that's it for now. And thanks for watching. If you like what you heard today, and you'd like to hear more, head over to nucleuswealth.com forward slash subscribe. Give us your email address. And in return, we'll send you a weekly email with new webinar topics, links for our podcasts and other news from Nucleus Wealth. I certainly hope you've got something out of today as I have, and we'll look forward to catching you with the next one. Cheers.